You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. We're excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned for why we love using Zen for the podcast. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. This is the CRM Archaeology Podcast. It's the show where we pull back the veil of cultural resources management, archaeology, and discuss the issues that everyone is concerned about. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 224 for October 27th, 2021. I'm your host, Chris Webster. On today's show, we talk about employment status and pay scales. So get your abacus out because the CRM Archaeology Podcast starts right now. Welcome to the show, everyone. Joining me today is Heather in California. Hi, everyone. Bill, now from Denmark, temporarily. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) And we have special guest host who was on, I don't even know, I'll put it in the show notes, but it was on a few episodes ago, Andrew Kinkella, also in California. Oh, hey, everybody. It's nice to be back. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, today... And we didn't even bring Andrew on to talk about anything in particular. I mean, he's just a guest host, which is awesome. And I I do want to do actually more of that kind of thing. If you're ever interested in, you know, coming on and just chatting with us, not necessarily being a guest, but just participating in the conversation, then uh, send me an email, chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com or hit us up on the socials or wherever you see this episode. I would love to do it all of the times. <laughs> Andrew, Sounds believe good. it or not, uh, yeah, be careful what you ask for. <laughs> That's already in the works, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> That's a separate conversation, and and we'll have to have that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, now our topic today is really great because. You know, we, we've got two things going on right now that I'm really happy about with this podcast is, A, we have a, a, a guest host in Andrew, who was a, a guest on the show before, which is really cool, kind of keeping the conversation fresh here. And B, our topic was suggested by a listener. And she did it through our members-only Slack team. She's a member of the Archaeology Podcast Network. One of our favorite listeners. I, at least one of my favorite listeners. So. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. She's very engaged. She likes to comment a lot in the uh, in the Slack team. So, Amy, how you doing? I'm sure you're out monitoring somewhere right now. So, uh, it's good to good to you know, bring your topic up to the podcast here. So her question was, and now keep in mind, she does a lot of work in California. So, and and Andrew and Heather and Bill are all in California and Heather has worked extensively in California in the CRM field where she's working now. So a lot of this conversation is probably going to have that sort of a bias to it, but we'll bring that up when we can. So here's the question. Basically, she said, and I'm paraphrasing here, does the amount of money you make change your status? So 
if you get a raise at work, does that change your status as an employee at that at that job just because of the amount of money you make? And she also asks, uh, what's the difference between exempt and non-exempt employees? You may have heard those terms before when you're working. And there's a few other questions here, which I'm sure we'll get to, but let's just kind of start with those. This whole conversation today is going to be around pay scales, employee types, and the benefits and and I guess costs of being one or the other, you know, so let's go ahead and do that. So Heather, you sort of took the notes on this episode here because, well, to be frank, you are in a position to be concerned with all these things and you have people probably <laughs> asking you these questions a lot. <laughs> like, well, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm what now? What does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> so take it away. Yeah. <laughs> sure. You know, I think to start off with a, a great way to start, is just to go over some definitions because we hear yeah. this exempt, non-exempt. I've had people where I've hired them and they're begging me to put them on as a salaried employee. Mm. And I'm like, no, okay. you do not want that. Yes, yes, I want, no, no, you do not want that. <laughs> you do not want to be, trust me, from a salaried employee, you don't want to be salaried. So, you know, I think it's really important that we go over some definitions just to start off with. So the idea of exempt versus non-exempt is all dictated by something called the FLSA or the Fair Labor Standards Act. So this is a federal act that guides how employers can categorize their employees. And it's meant to be fair to employees. It's meant hmm. that the employers have to meet a certain threshold in order to exempt an employee from most specifically, in some cases, minimum wage. But also, but more specifically, under the regulation 29 CFR Part 541, if anybody <laughs> has had HR list that off to them, that it's overtime. So overtime's big. Overtime is obviously big when it comes to a budget. A smart executive, somebody who's writing the proposal, actually really looks into what kind of overtime is going to be required for a job, but not everybody does that. So they get a little, or they're trying to, you know, get the lowest bid so they can win. Right. And so mm -hmm. overtime, a lot of times is where people try to cut the fat, so to speak. So there are some exemptions, some of the exemptions to overtime, meaning an employer doesn't have. So when I say exempt, if you are exempt, it means that you that the employer does not need to pay you overtime. If you are non-exempt, okay. that means that the employer must pay you overtime. So there's eight different exempt categories, five of which mm. really do not apply to archaeologists. Those are computer employee, outside sales, highly compensated employee. That definitely doesn't apply to <laughs> archaeologists. <laughs> Blue collar, although we may feel like we're blue collar, right, sometimes, or police, fire, paramedics, other first responders. The three that really do apply to archaeologists would be the executive, administrative, or professional exemption. So when an employer is deciding whether or not an employee is exempt from getting overtime, there's two things that they have to look at, and that is the salary and the duty. Those two mm. things must be met. And that's where people are like, well, oh, I've made too much. And I think Amy mentioned that. She said somebody had been told, either it was her or somebody else, I think it was somebody else, a friend of hers, had been told that they were making too much, therefore now they're exempt. 
So that's true to some degree, but it needs to be both the duties test and the salary test must be met. So there's three primary classifications. The first one is executive exemption. And what does an executive exemption mean? It means in general that employee's primary duty is either managing the company or a department within the company, that they have at least two or more full-time employees under them or the equivalent under them. And they also have the authority to hire and fire employees, or they have a significant amount of say or pull in that process. So that's executive. So if you meet all of those, you have to meet every one of those, plus your salary is no less than $684 per week, which is very Mm. low. Yeah, (laughs) That's basically $35,000 annually, a little more than Mm $35,000 annually then you are exempt from overtime. So I don't think that that really applies much to, unless you're in a very small CRM firm, let's say, and let's say you're, you know, I've had friends that are in a small CRM firm and they're, let's say, quote unquote, the vice president of a CRM firm and they can hire and fire employees. <laughs> they have people underneath them, but it has to be full-time employees. So that's another thing that's important because that a lot of time doesn't mm-hmm. happen, right? Yeah. And the other thing that's important is that the federal government's very, very specific in saying the title means nothing. It's what you do. So a company can't say, oh, you are an executive and therefore you're exempt. You have to meet these qualifications. So the next qualification, next exemption category is professional. And the three things that they must meet are that they perform work requiring advanced knowledge. That definitely applies here. Right. So work that is predominantly intellectual in nature and includes working or requiring like consistent exercise of discretion and judgment. That definitely fits when it comes to archaeology. Right. And then work Mm -hmm. in the field of science and learning. Obviously, that is Mm -hmm. in play here. And then you have an advanced degree. An advanced degree means that you took some very specific learning for an uh, for a extended period of time. Okay, so it's actually kind of very vague. (laughs) <laughs> but I'd say a bachelor's does apply. A bachelor's applies. So it oh, doesn't okay. have to be, when we think of archaeology, we think a master's is advanced, right? Not here. The advanced degree can be a bachelor's. So in this, I think, is actually where archaeologists fit the most, right? The, the easiest. Yeah. And then you have the administrative exemption. The two are, number one, you perform office or non-manual work directly related to management or general business operations. And you have some decision-making authority. I don't think that the admin or the executive really applies to archaeologists, but the learned profession absolutely does. And in fact, I think for archaeologists, if you, you most archaeologists are going are gonna to fit in this. In fact, probably all archaeologists, you could argue, fit in this <laughs> learned profession exemption. So if you were at that point making more than 35, that is the exact amount is $35,568 annually. Yeah, you can Mm. be exempt. Now, that's where you have to, when you're, when you're going through the hiring process that, you know, you have to have these conversations with the, with your potential employers. Let's have some clarifying questions here. So, cause people who, especially people who are new in the field may wonder about at least one thing here. So per diem doesn't count in your salary, right? No. Like you can Correct. be paid 
you could be paid $700 per day if a company wanted to do that, if they could get away with it, because there's legal reasons for not getting that too. <laughs> but you right. could be paid right. $700 a day, but that does not count for anything related to this entire discussion. So keep that out. I just wanted to make yes, that point. Absolutely. The other thing is yeah. to remember is that, so California, it's $14, right? Minimum wage, 13 something mm -hmm. minimum wage, right? So if you divide this out 2000 into 35,568, it's about almost $17 an hour. Okay. So that kind of gives you a little basis too. There's states all over the country that are, I mean, the federal minimum wage is embarrassingly $7 and 25 yeah. cents. So my first CRM project was $10 an hour with no per diem. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that was in North Dakota. So, but that was also my first class action lawsuit because it was an army Corps project and they weren't paying enough. So, but uh, what did I know? So they, they should have been paying prevailing wage. Didn't they? That that was the lawsuit that some other okay. uh, archaeologists brought up. Actually, it was uh, probably three or four months later. I got a check in the mail for for what nice I was getting. I didn't get per diem. Yeah, I didn't. It was it was half day. I was only on the project for about three weeks. So, but I was like, oh, wow, okay. is this what all projects are like? Just shady operations. And mm. first off, a no, but b it helps to know this kind of information so you can identify when those kinds of things are happening and when they're not, because it, let's, let's talk about oversight a little bit, Heather. If mm -hmm. you decide, I don't know, if you decide not to change somebody's status to say exempt and right. they are not exempt for whatever reason, and they've been given a raise, like let, let's say it's just an honest mistake. Like their status didn't change, but these tests, these tests were met, their status didn't change. What's the oversight there? Is it up to the employee to bring this up to the state or to, well, to their employer first and see if they do the right thing, but then the state, or does that come out in like the company's filings for payroll and, and other stuff like that? Like who knows? It actually goes the other direction. So generally an archeologist in the as needed position or part-time position, or even a full-time position hourly is going to start off with overtime. It's when the company says, okay, you know what? You're exempt from overtime. Now you meet these, these classification, you meet these, these thre this threshold. And now I can switch you from, from uh, non-exempt to exempt. So it's actually hmm. goes the other way. So typically you're going to start off with overtime uh, unless okay. you are, you know, higher up. Right. And, and you get hired on as salaried straight off the bat. When I got hired, I was salaried straight off the bat. I never, yeah. never had the potential of overtime. So I, I do have, there is one, if I work on one job for the entire week, that, <laughs> which never happens, and yeah. I go over 40 hours for that one job, then I get overtime, okay? But that never happens. In eight years, yeah. but this, this specific company has never happened. So it's almost never happens the, the other way around, where you start mm -hmm. off as exempt, and then you're like, wait a minute, knock on the door of your boss, I should be non-exempt, you know, that's... <laughs> That's actually a good thing. And and for me, I think in, in most cases, now we have many, we have many employees that hit this threshold at the company I work at and we mm -hmm. keep them, we keep them as non-exempt because there are, there are instances where it's the right thing to do. You know, they, they, yeah. they should get overtime, right? So, but a lot of employees don't understand that. And then there's also this status, right? Oh, I'm I'm not a salaried employee, so I'm not as valuable. It's not true. Yeah, we you know a lot of companies make a lot more money non-salaried employees because 
they're billable. They're 100% billable. And that's a good thing. It's good for the employer and it's good for the employee. My job requires a lot of admin tasks, managerial tasks that are just put on overhead that the company has to you know, consider as part of their overhead. So, you know, salary is not everything everybody thinks is cracked up to. Right, right. And and also there's project considerations too for different positions, right? I I feel like if yes. you're getting overtime on a field project, especially one away from the office where there's per diem, you know, all that's coming into play, then one of two things either happen. Either A, the project the project was well, one of three things. The project was either poorly planned and they didn't plan enough yes. time for it. So now you've got to scramble to get it done or maybe timelines changed and you can't get more people in there. So that, I mean, that does happen from the, from the, from the, you know, whoever the, you're getting the contract from, or maybe they just couldn't hire the people they were looking for in time to get on the project. Therefore, some people are going to have to take up that slack, in which case the budget's not hopefully being impacted too much because at time and a half, you got to figure, well, if I got to do 60 hours a week because we couldn't hire somebody, I'm really only doing 20 hours of their, you know, I'm really only doing 15 hours of their job or 10 hours of their job because that's time and a half versus, you know, 20 hours of their job or 40 hours of their job. So it's, right. uh, it's complicated and, and margins are pretty tight on CRM projects as it is. So yes. getting overtime is usually a really bad thing for the company that you're working for, unless for one reason or another, that was authorized for a certain reason. I'll close this segment out just with one quick example. When I was working for a company, a lot of companies worked for this, but I was working for a company on the Ruby pipeline project that crossed several states, including mm. most of Nevada. Right. At one point, the employee, the contract, the lead agency or the lead prime contractor was basically like, listen, this is a $3 billion natural gas pipeline. I don't care what it costs, but you guys need to have yes. this done in like the next mm -hmm. few months. <laughs> so mm -hmm. unlimited overtime was authorized and we could basically work every day of the week if we wanted to. And Let's it just it so happens this was, yeah. yeah, this was the last like three or four months before I went to grad school. So, and we were camping for $7 a night. My wife and I were, but we're both getting like oh, 110 a day in per diem. So, you awesome. know, we took all that money basically <laughs> and I used it to basically not work during in grad school and to pay some student loans, which was real handy. So not every circumstance is the same. With that, we will take a break real quick and come back for segment two, because I see Bill's got his hand up. I'm sure he's got a lot to say about this. And we'll kick off with that on the other side. Back in a minute. Chris Webster here for the Archaeology Podcast Network. We strive for high quality interviews and content so you can find information on any topic in archaeology from around the world. One way we do that is by recording interviews with our hosts and guests located in many parts of the world all at once. We do that through the use of Zencaster. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. Zencaster allows us to record high quality audio with no stress on the guest. Just send them a link to click on and that's it. Zencaster does the rest. They even do automatic transcriptions. Check out the link in the show notes for 30% off your first three months or go to zencastr.com and use the code CRMARC. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. 
LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Welcome back to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, segment two, episode 224. And Heather gave a great setup to this whole discussion in segment one. And now I'm sure we're going to have some discussion about this. So, Bill, you had a comment just before we had to end there. So what do you got to say about mm-hmm. segment one? Yeah, it's been a long time since we discussed it, but you mentioned the per diem thing. And then you also mentioned something yeah. about the lodging. And so a couple of things about that, like, I can't remember where the per diem falls in. I mean, I know it's not required or whatever, but I can't remember if that's, you know, part of your wages or not. I don't think it is part of your wages because it's not the other thing that, that you mentioned about saving it up. That's I, I was able to pay for my family to go to Hawaii on a project nice. just by, you know, staying frugal in the hotel and, you know, saving mm-hmm. almost all my per diem. And there's several people I know who were saving their per diem, you know, all the while that I was, Uh, doing cultural resources. Then the other thing that has come up that I know several people in the past uh, save up their hotel points, right? Because that's another Mm -hmm. major way that you can get free hotel stays. So if you are staying in a hotel and you uh, get the credit card and your company's okay with it, or if you can just register your name every single time, even though they're paying for it, you'll still get your points yeah. for the hotel. And I know several people who do that too. So maybe you can talk about where that falls. I know that per diem comes as part of the contract. It's not a required thing for every project, mm-hmm. but how do we count that as income? And then do we also have to count those hotel points and sky no. miles and stuff? So it's not income. It's reimbursable. But you really should talk to your tax professional. And now I sound like a commercial. <laughs> you should talk to your tax professional when it comes to what you bank and what you don't. Mm-hmm. Because it is considered reimbursable. You know, it's, it's a direct cost, what we call it, direct cost. So, you know, how you personally report that is up to you. But as far as the company goes, they consider it reimbursable. And therefore, it's not, not considered salary. Mm. So... You know, there are ways around that, you know, when you're staying with people and, you know, we, that's as far as I'm going to go on that one. But the there are <laughs> jobs that are required to give you per diem and required to give you, yeah, per diem, basically lodging and food allowances. Those primarily federal projects, either a fed, on federal land, using federal funds or being run by a federal entity. Those do require most times per diem. But a, a lot of times they don't. The thing is, you know, for, for the company I work for, we we put per diem on almost all project that we expect an employee to have to travel an extended period. And sometimes it's so it's more worth it. Sometimes we do have to argue this to clients because they'll say, well, we don't want to pay that. Well, it, it's actually <laughs> worth it for you to pay that because, first of all, you can write it off. Second of all, let's say it's it's a hundred dollar hotel fee. And you're giving somebody $40, $40 a day, right, for food. And now, so you're up at 140 The employee is, let's say, they're billing them out at 75 an hour. Okay, right now, the two hours of travel time, it, it makes much more sense to have them staying over. So the two hours of travel, let's say they, they live an hour and a half away from the, the site. That's an hour and a half home, an hour, hour and a half back. You now are paying more, not giving them per diem, than you would if you were just, just giving per diem. It's cheaper that way. So... 
Yeah, that reminds me of the other tragedy, though, when some of the people on the crew are getting per diem and some aren't. Yeah. yeah. If you want to see the fastest yeah. way oh, for morale yeah. to just collapse, yeah. oh, go man. ahead and set up a situation where, you know, some folks are coming like all the way from Tucson. And so they're far enough away that they get per diem, but right. they're hiring as many techs as they can in the Phoenix area so that they can not pay them per diem. So they're getting paid the lowest wages. And they're also only contingent hires for that one contract, right? So however long it, it lasts. And then they don't even get per diem, but they probably have to drive the same hour and a half yeah, because Phoenix is a you know wasteland. Right. Sorry, Phoenix. Mm-hmm. I mean, actually, I'm not really sorry. I've been to Phoenix a lot of times. Mm-hmm. If you live in yeah. if you live in Phoenix, you know what I'm talking about, not a right? Fan. Like it's yeah. it's its own thing, right? It's just like L.A. Great place to yeah. visit. Great place to leave and go back home, right? So yeah. you know, I've seen that happen many times, and in California, it's a huge issue because. It can be an hour to drive across the bridge or it can be an hour to drive like a hundred miles. Right. Right. Well, I guess yeah. it depends yeah. on how fast you drive. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe no. 60 miles, right? 50 miles. So the, the distances a lot of times don't really compute with some of these metrics that, you know, well, if, if the job is, you know, more than 50 miles away from the home office, then, you know, it's better off for you to stay in a hotel. Well, that could be like three hours drive through LA County to get 50 miles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I've totally experienced that per diem versus no per diem crushing morale <laughs> experience. You know, it's, it's, that's so true. And man, you know, as we, as we talk about all this stuff, I hope, I hope my students are listening to this stuff. You know, I feel like what we're going over, especially how Heather set everything up and, and, and sort of the bits and bobs we're talking about right now, just how important this kind of knowledge is at the, at the mm-hmm. student level, you know, of, Hey, this is what's coming. And I just, it makes me sad because I know that students aren't getting this knowledge. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, if they're yeah. in my class, they are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You see me like smoking a cigarette in front of class, lamenting about how I don't get any per diem for going all the way to work. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 I'm per diem to come and teach. It's more than the door for me to get it. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not all gnarly like that. I don't smoke anymore. But yeah, um, yeah I mean, I, I, I totally hear you because the other, the other side of the coin is just the massive amount of savings that you can build if you save your per diem, because right. there's always yeah. the whole Las Vegas field, you know, Hey, we're in the middle of nowhere. Might as well just wild out and waste all of our per diem on, you know, ridiculous, horrible burritos and a lot of beer. <laughs> there's a lot of, you can save hundreds of dollars a week, a lot of times right. just yeah, yeah. by saving mm-hmm. the per diem. You know, I remember I worked for a firm that was trying to scare us into not saving our per diem. It was really odd. They're like, no, you guys need to spend it. You need to spend it because we can take it back. So I I don't know if you guys have ever had that experience. Yeah. Yeah. And so then I go to the grocery store and just load up. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I just get groceries. I get socks, shirts, like everything and just Mm -hmm. spend it all. These are questions that, you know, that employees or or prospective employees should be asking. How how is and. They also have to understand, though, companies have different contracts. So we have contracts with agencies in the LA area, without being too specific, that have very specific requirements when it comes to per diem. And in order to get the contract, they control everything. And so there are times where, you know, we have one in particular, a very large project we're working on right now. We had to fight tooth and nail. And in fact, our company had to pay for all the lodging and per diem for months until we could convince the, the client that this was just, there's just no way that we can, 
that we can get employees out there for you without having this lodging and per diem. There's just no way to do it. And they did eventually acquiesce. But there's a lot of agencies in order to, you know, cut the fat that have said mm-hmm. no lodging, no mile. In fact, no mileage. We actually have people say they won't right. pay mileage. We still pay it and we eat it. And so that's something that I think, yes, I think students need to be, they definitely need to be educated, need to have this understanding. But I've had people come straight out of college and be extremely demanding. That there's a way, <laughs> there's a way to to communicate this to your prospective employer, right? And and to do it in a professional way. And you know, when I see employees that come in and they're very, very aggressive and they're very demanding, you know what that says to me right out right away? You have just enough information to be dangerous. <laughs> yeah, you know, to me, I've noticed some of that. And it almost seems like a generational thing because yes. you you see all these things on the news like, oh, the new generation is demanding and getting uh, right. what they want in the workforce. They wear they wear no shoes and just play table tennis. Right. You know? or, or that companies are out <laughs> to screw the employee at every yeah. chance. That's yeah. not true. It's not true. It's just not true. Right. Bill. Well, I mean, I don't know. I've worked with some companies that are. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You know, I, I'm going to change my vote. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> it's not counted. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally get it because I've worked for companies like that, too. But you can't. That's just not a good tactic ever to come aggressively at you're the right. evil. You're the evil company and then pull back. OK, so right. <laughs> that's just I mean, never I, a good I, stance. I, I don't think this is necessarily a generational thing as much as it is a personality and just a lack of knowledge, right? I mean, you'll get some people who are, I mean, I actually was talking to my wife about someone I worked with, you know, 20 years ago that was always nitpicking about every single second that he was spending at work. Every mm-hmm. second to unload the truck. If we got stuck in traffic, he's yeah, like, oh, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build these 12 minutes extra. Right. You're shaking your head like, man, seriously, these 12 minutes? Are, are you joking me? So then at the end of the week, his time card is always, you know, 32 minutes more, mm-hmm. right? right? And, yeah. he was, and he, that was his attitude that he was always hyper pissed off that he would get cheated in quotation marks out of any time or something like that. Right. And like I said, we weren't talking entire hours. We were talking about seven extra minutes a week or something like that. And he would actually put that on his time card. And you know, the end result, that guy's not in archeology span anymore because first of all, it wasn't really suitable for his own personality. Uh, And then second of all, no one would hire him after a while when he was always complaining about the wages, always complaining about everything. Right. Right. So I'm not saying that you need to take it in the shorts and just accept whatever horror Mm -hmm. story your employer's trying to do. Like, you know, if, if they are the kind of place that's taking the per diem back and stuff like that, I mean, that is definitely not the kind of place that you necessarily want to work for because they're not making enough money to keep their doors open. Right. If they've got to take $17 from every person on the crew when you're done, that's they're, they're barely cutting it. Yeah. You're going to get laid off Mm -hmm. soon anyway. That's like, that's telling you you're about to get laid off. Yep. But on the other hand, you know, before demanding, make sure that you have the information, right? Right. Yep. I mean, Heather's laying it out there. Make sure you know what you're talking about. Not that you know a little bit and are dangerous because the only danger is to yourself. Right. Yeah, pretty much. And then it's like, I always tell, you know, my students, it's it, at the end of the day, you just got to act in good faith. There's sort of a good faith yes. balance there, you know, and the and the recording of the eight minutes on the time card is not really acting in good faith, you know, no. so it's it's got to it goes yeah. both ways. Yeah. And I think you got to look at the the type of company you're going to work for, too. You know, like Heather, 
the type of company you work for and and I've worked for these types of companies as well and 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 probably a lot of people have that are where the where the archaeology or CRM department is the it's it's just the archaeology that's being governed by that department. Of course, you have to be concerned with budgets. You're often writing proposals, but there are full accounting departments over the top of you, and full mm-hmm. business managers and people who, you know, have business training, business degrees in most cases, and and they are, I, I guess, providing some oversight. Whereas all of these companies, not all of, a lot of times when you think a company is quote, screwing you and they're doing stuff, really, they're just being run by people that thought they were sold the American dream of, hey, I have a master's degree now, I'm going to start a business, and then I'm going to be driving a Mercedes two weeks later, right? Because I'm owning a business and all business owners are rich. They're therefore <laughs> dot, 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 success, right? Well, I'm here to tell you that Tesla's what? You're always talking about the Teslas. We've given up on them. They're just too hard to get. We're just settling now. Well, you know, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in F1 mode, and we're about to watch Mercedes go kick ass next week. So, you know, I'm just, you know, that's where it is. But anyway, so the the point is that a lot of the companies out there, if it's not being run by an engineering firm or some other overarching entity that just has a department that does CRM. More than more, more often than not, they run be they run by people like you who have no business training. They have no yeah. anything. They just thought, you know what? I can work for myself and I can do this thing like a lot of us want to do. And so they started this company, and right. maybe they had a few jobs where they're you know yeah. just sole sourcing and they're they're, right. they're they're doing the project themselves. All of a sudden, they got this bigger project. They need a few employees. Then they got another one. Then they got another one. Now you've got a bunch of master's degreed archaeologist with no business training whatsoever trying to run a company and understand themselves what exempt even means you know what i mean so no business training (laughs) on top of at such a i I don't know archaeologists are not it's not i mean to say no business training is like the understatement of the century yeah good lord they have like no acumen they have no (laughs) their brain doesn't even work that way i mean in fact we're not trained for it and, and oh my it's, God. it's funny because, you know, archaeologists, it, it, I don't know, a lot, lot of the liberal arts types of degrees, right, social degrees, yeah. you know, they, they do, auto, they attract people that are almost anti-business sometimes, but then they want to right. go into business and make money. And so, you know, I'm going to defend, Chris, I'm going to defend the American dream here a little bit, okay? Because <laughs> everything is relative, right? So American dream is, yes, you get a degree and then you go and try to start a business, but just like anything else, you got to work your ass off and working your ass oh, yeah. off means, right. means knowing your business. And it's not just being an archeologist. Like if you want to be an archeologist and only be an archeologist, go work for another company. If you want to be an archeologist mm-hmm. that owns your own company, then you better learn every aspect of that company. And I would say, you know, yeah. although I think that some of the sentiment out there is that, that as need employees or part-time employees, hourly employees, are more screwed by the bigger companies than they are the smaller companies is actually a misnomer because mm. the bigger companies actually have an HR department that understand where they're going to get in a lot of trouble if they don't if they don't handle things a certain way. Where the smaller companies, yeah. I think they're trying to screw people, but they just don't know. They just don't know, and they're <laughs> scrambling. Yeah, you know, I started this saying that I thought all students should listen to this. Now I'm saying all CRM firms should be listening to this. (laughs) Well, that's... I mean, to be honest, what you're really saying, Andrew, what I'm hearing is this is everybody should be listening to each other. But in reality, we all end up, 
in these little silos where we have this, yeah. this long held set of beliefs. And I never saw that more than when I started working in Nevada, to be honest, when I was working on the East coast, people seem to change jobs pretty frequently. And even, even like the project managers and uh, at companies would, you know, move around a little bit more than it seems like they do out in the West in some cases. And I'm not, hundred percent certain why that is. Maybe that was just my experience too. Who knows? But I worked for a company in Reno. They had people there that had only ever worked at that company and they got out of school. They got hired on as maybe a field tech or maybe they came out of grad school and they were a project manager and they've worked there ever since. And then, you know, when we worked there, my wife and I, we would hear things like, oh, I've never heard of that before. Well, this is how we've always done it. And they just had literally no worldly experience out mm -hmm. in the business world of archaeology outside right. of the firm that they worked for. You know, yeah. and then two weeks before Christmas, a few years ago, they laid everybody off because business dried up. So I'm not sure what those people ended up doing, but it was a rude awakening, whatever it was. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I think that's a good point to stop this segment before, you know, we all just burn our computers or throw everything in the trash <laughs> and then we'll come up on the other side and we'll have, I've got some more clarifying questions about some of this because there's, there's other concerns with the exemptions and, and what's going on there. So we'll be back in just a minute. Waiting on a tax return. Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Welcome back to the final segment of episode 224 of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. And Heather, something I was curious about and see where this falls in the spectrum of exempt and non-exempt. Because to be honest, this one company I worked for in Reno, we were salaried, I want to say. Uh, yes, we were salaried. I don't remember what our exempt versus non-exempt status, but we got comp time for anything over 40 hours. And that was just at our regular hourly rate, but it basically banked until we didn't want to. And in fact, when I got fired from that job for writing a blog post that they didn't like, I got like a $7,000 check for all of my comp time. And when my wife quit in solidarity, she got the same thing and they had to pay us back for all that comp time that we had. I don't think they had to pay us for like sick time and stuff like that, but they had to pay us for, I believe, vacation time and comp time, like within 48 hours or something like it had to be, you had to be settled up real quick when you either quit like that or, <laughs> or get fired or laid off. So what, how does comp time fall into this whole discussion? Cause it's not overtime per se. And is it, I don't know, is it voluntary or is it required in some cases? Do you have any idea? Okay. I have a really good answer for this. I have no idea. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea. Dude, why do um, you steal my yeah. answer? <laughs> Somebody has to say that more than just you all the time, Andrew. So I, uh, 
You know, I, I think that that's, that's a really good question. Maybe while everybody else yeah. is talking, I'll do a quick search, but I, I really don't know. I've never even run into that. I've never had a company offer that to me. And if a yeah. company offers that, I think that without answering this that question, which I can't, I, I do think that it brings up a good point. Companies are going to throw options at you. And if you're asking questions, they're going to, the more questions you ask, the more they're going to provide you, right? So, and a savvy mm-hmm respectful employee or potential employee should be asking some of these questions, right? So the one thing to know, this brings up one good aspect, is that if a condition on a project changes in the middle of a project, the employer must let the employee know and give them two weeks notice, okay? Mm. They can't just, uh, this does happen a lot. So let's say you're on a project, you're getting overtime, you're getting you're going, you're getting overtime and mileage and everything like that. And then all of a sudden things change and the, the, let's say the client's not willing to pay overtime anymore and it's not required, right? The, the, the company's yeah. not required to give it to you. They have to tell you two weeks prior that this is now going to change and you can work up to that two weeks prior with those existing conditions, including the overtime or the, sorry, including mm. the, the per diem and all that. And they cannot change it for two weeks on you. So that's one, one wow. thing to to consider. So how's that for an answer? Sorry, I didn't answer your well, question, but I answered another question. No, that's that's very interesting because I'm willing to bet virtually no one knows that because yeah. you know, when when uh, when you if you are working, I, I don't know how often that actually happens, but if you're actually working for a client and they'd make a change in the parameters that will affect your pay, first off, that's weird. Why did they do that? But second, they must know about the two weeks. It happens. You know, sometimes if if your employer is not that savvy or they're they're not uh, staying on top of things, they may get surprised by it. Hmm. Like it can happen when, let's say, there's a new contract. So you go from, you know, you're first going through surveying and everything, right? Yeah. As an employee, for you, it's just you're working every day. But for the mm-hmm. employer, they started at a survey. We're doing a phase one, whatever, on a, on a project, a pedestrian survey. And then it switches over right. to monitoring. Let's say so that this a new is contract. now a new contract for the employer. It's a new contract for the employee. I'm still showing up at 7 a.m. in the morning at the same place I was all, all along. It's just another day of work. <laughs> and so that's that's where that does happen. That actually can happen quite often. Yeah. On larger projects that, you know, that have an extended period of time. Right. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I'm willing to bet a lot of people don't know that. I certainly never even heard of that before. So, hmm. Now, that's that's a really weird circumstance, though, right? Because if you're if you're a company and you know that the current phase of the project is coming to an end, you're not going to get surprised by the next phase having different parameters because presumably you put in that proposal a month ago exactly. or something like yep. that. And yep. you'd have to account and, and the, you'd have to account for and the client would have to know that, hey, yeah, it's going to be at this rate. But hey, for the first two weeks, because we have people working on this, it's actually going to be at this rate. Or does the employer just eat that and, and they don't, you know, because otherwise they could probably lose the contract to somebody who comes in yeah. new for that phase and is coming in with without pre-existing conditions. Right. I mean, without getting into management and how you yeah, know, yeah. negotiate contracts. Sure, yeah, sure. I mean, a, a savvy contract manager is going to know how, you know, it's definitely a lot more beneficial to the client to keep the same institutional knowledge, to keep the, the company that's been working on the project all along on the project. For sure. It's much easier sure. um, to do that. And so there's a benefit to the client. So, you know, the contract manager for the, for your company 
should be able to negotiate with that in mind. Hmm. Okay. You know, I had a question just to turn to the side a little bit. I know as we go through this and we kind of talk about, you know, exempt versus non-exempt and compensation, all this good stuff. I know that my students, they always are just curious about the basics, like how much is a decent hourly rate, you know, like, and what would you guys say? Hmm. Well, I mean, it depends on where you're at. Yeah, of and course, it's yeah, states and it's yeah. states, cost of living. Right. And so, you know, a lot of it is what people are willing to accept. Yeah. What is fair, and I've heard you know people getting paid thirteen, fourteen dollars an hour, yeah, uh, easily all over the the country. In California, yeah. the general is you know I've heard as low as seventeen, mm-hmm. and or even lower than that, right? But you know I think a fair a fair amount for somebody with absolutely and yeah with we're talking no green. experience, yeah. absolutely green, yeah, is is somewhere between eighteen and and twenty right. an That's- hour. That's yeah. great. Yeah. I, I just wanted to check in with you guys because it's like, I mean, I did a lot of CRM, but it was the better part of 20 years ago. So my information right. is so old, you know? And so right. when I'm trying to tell my students, that's about what I've been telling them, you know, oh, yeah. in this yeah. vicinity. And then I give them, there's always other variables, you know, right. like, hey, is the job really easy to get to? You know, right. hey, is, right. is it is it really cool? You yeah, know, because yeah. sometimes the job can be super interesting. And it's like, oh, I'm only getting yeah. you know, 16 bucks an hour. But wow. You know, so there is something to be said for paying your dues. So right. the, number one, when you come out of college, you have a bachelor's. I got news for you. You are entry level. You know, nothing. <laughs> OK, you know nothing. OK, you I, know, it's not news to them because I okay. tell them that. You OK, know, good. It's, it's, but not everybody does. <laughs> it's cool. no. They come out, yeah. they think they're making $30 an hour. I'm like, are oh you nuts? Yeah. There are people yeah. that are, 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 you know, applying for senior archaeology positions. And I mean, they shouldn't even be applying for senior archaeology positions within a master's. Right. Uh, period. Yeah. But right. let alone okay. that, they, they try to apply, uh, do it for bachelors. But anyway, right. so just, you know, know, know that you don't know anything. Okay. Know yeah. that, yes, you do. It's cool. You know, mm-hmm. and it's nice to have cool projects, but a lot of, <laughs> but a lot of projects are not. And you have okay. to pay your dues. So you can't just say, I, we've had people say, oh, well, let me t- tell me what the project is like. And that's fine. I'll tell you. Knowledge is power, right? But also, oh, yeah. I, I don't have to hire you either. Oh, of so, course. That's, yeah, and that's, not really what I, that's not really what yeah. I meant. You know, I, I meant like when the if the students are feeling really down, like, like yeah. I'm yeah. You know, only making 60, I'm like, hey, look, the project is like, you know, really interesting. You're saying. Right. You're really learning. Dating skills. Yeah. Yes. Right. It's, it's yes. a skill set that's getting yeah. better. It's like, look, you know, like you're saying, it's a, it, we're talking on two different sides of the paying your dues, you know, right. situation. Isn't this a weird conversation to have though, right? Because you wouldn't be talking to like many other fields and saying, you know, well, I, I run a bulldozer and I'm going to do it for only $20 an hour here because it's a super cool, like building that's going up over there. Right. Like, I, I feel like we have to be really careful having that conversation, especially on a podcast like this, because there are employers listening. There are project managers listening <laughs> and they might be thinking, yeah, this is a cool project. I can charge less. Thanks guys. Well, that's a really good, all, that's a really good idea. <laughs> destroyed the entire system. 
the really cool projects. It depends on how you define cool projects, yes, right? It does. So yeah, true. The really cool true. projects. I don't want greed people on, right? right. If it's a cool. Yeah. Now, if you define yeah. cool project as I'm working on Kevin Costner's house and I might right. be able to see him walking sure. from his bedroom <laughs> to the bathroom. Okay, may, maybe that's cool in your definition of cool, and then right. you can charge less because somebody's monitoring nothing in Kevin right. Costner's house. So yeah. You know, it depends on how you define cool and cool projects usually want more experienced people on anyway. Of course. But, yeah. You know, it's not to abuse. You have in anything you have to pay your dues. There are especially even in uh, equipment operators, they start off as apprentices, you know, any Mm -hmm. and people think, oh, we want to labor. You know, we want a union and everything. You know, there are a lot of and we talked about this at length. We even talked about it last time Andrew was on. But right. You know, when it comes to unions, there's also an apprentice position where it takes you some time in grade or some time in your, you know, you have to have a certain amount of years before you're making those big bucks, right? Yeah. 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 And that's just, it's part of my pep talk. You know what I mean? I uh, yeah. I feel like, again, I've destroyed everything. They, they won't want me back. I've, <laughs> I've tried to be saying good stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these are... You know, these are the kind of things that that students are just, you know, they're they're curious about. So I, I'm I, I try and you know be like, hey, look, it'll it's it's all okay as long as you're making around this much money, you know. Yeah. And even if it's below, like I've had students who are you know making like brutally low. It's like, hey, if you're there right now, maybe in four months or something, you know, you can talk to your employer or after the first job's mm-hmm. over, you know, and get into. I, I just wanted to make sure to know where yeah. is that sort of normal spot whatever that is right. you know for, and that's, for yeah. compensation so that's for california for those yeah. that aren't in california that's yeah. what california is lower in other states right uh, but it also is a lot cheaper to live in other states of course right so but the one thing is i i would encourage is that as needed employees if you think that you have proved yourself that you are now have built up your skills to a point where you should be making more money you should go and talk to your employer in a respectful yeah. way mm-hmm. and say, you know, lay lay out your your argument for yourself and say, you know, I have this, 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 and this since you hired me. Okay. I've gained all these skills and I'm I'm very appreciative of the opportunity you've given me, but I think now I'm worth this. Most companies don't even consider raises for as needed employees unless they ask them. And mm-hmm. it's not because it's right. abuse, it's just there's so many as needed employees, there's no way that people can see uh, managers or even just the company at large can understand where somebody's skill sets are at any one time. So it's up to you to argue for yourself. Right. To advocate for yourself. Right. And I think that's another super important point. That, that's There's so many articles. Yeah. Along those lines, too, I would say, especially for Andrews and any other students that happen to be listening or people who are new in the field, the biggest thing is to to first do a self-assessment before you go looking for a CRM job, right? And you might have to do yeah. that while you're sitting in class right now because you have to say, well, what are what are my needs? What do I have to make in order to just live and be a human? You know, do you have a spouse or partner or somebody else that can compensate while you're working the cool gigs or or paying your dues or or getting those those lower paying jobs just to get experience and to build up your CV? It, or is or is that going to put you in the poorhouse, right? Are you living in your car when right. you're doing that? So that's that's right. not a, a tenable situation. So once you figure out your own self assessment and your own needs, now go start looking at employers. And I think the one thing that's almost universal for especially smaller companies is they may not have defined this, or or they may have defined it, but they often don't tell you. They say, "Hey, 
we're going to, they're going to call you back and say, Hey, we want to give you this job. It's, it's four weeks and here's what it pays. The first thing I always used to ask is, well, what's the, what's the pay range for this position? Because again, they they don't typically volunteer that. I want to know where I'm fitting in the range. Now they might not want to volunteer that, but I press them on it. And, and if I finally do find out what that range is, if it's, 17 to $21 an hour, for example, and I have no experience, then I'm going to be happy to get $17 an hour. But if I've even totally. got a field season in, in on me, or if I've got a few other projects in on me, I might be like, Hey, you know what? I'll take 1725, but I'm going to talk to you in like six months if I'm still working here and I want to have a conversation and just be yeah, open right. with them and, and be honest about right. it. And I, man, I think on both sides of the coin, that's the biggest thing is be open and honest about the, the employment yeah. relationship and don't keep it under, under wraps because so, there's no reason. It's so true. I did that exact thing. Like at one of my CRM firms, I felt like I was being underpaid and I didn't say anything yeah. and I sat and stewed for like six yeah. months. And then I finally <laughs> talked to them and I'm like, well, I think maybe I could deserve a little more. And they're like, oh yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Why didn't you ask earlier? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Such an idiot, you know, so. You know, it's, yeah. it's it's learning. It's learning. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that enter, that enter archaeology. Some may not have even had a job or what they did. They worked at McDonald's sure. as a high school student or whatever. Right, right. You know. It's their first professional job. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm I am actually going to drop one of those bombs, Chris, that, that <laughs> ends up resulting in hate mail. Andrew, I'm actually the, I think the least popular host on this show, but anyway, but, but it's always good to have, uh, you know, that, that other side because uh, mm-hmm. it keeps people interested, but anyway, of course, you know, all right. So I've taken a lot of fire on social media uh, pages about this. In fact, like I've posted job descriptions and and job yeah. offerings right and absolutely yeah there was one that got really it got not 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 pretty <laughs> at all this is because of the idea that you must in order to post a job offering you must post what it's going to pay okay so i do mm-hmm. believe and this is ignorance just in the na- the word of ignorance right i'm, I'm not saying it, this in a negative way, right? I'm saying that people just don't understand. So when you have a job offering and you're just saying, okay, we are trying to fill positions at a company, broadly at a company, right. you're not going to get a pay range there. Okay. But if I were to post and say, I have this specific project, it's a prevailing wage, it's a federal oh, project, see. and I'm going to offer between this and this pay range, absolutely, that is fair. But Mm -hmm. when I'm offering actually put out and I'm saying we have a job application on our website that we are hiring anywhere from entry level all the way to mid-level archaeologists, you're not going to get a pay range unless unless you just want me to tell you, oh, it's from 17 to $50 an hour. (laughs) Is that what you want me to tell you? Because that's not helpful. Right. So that's the bomb that I'm (laughs) that I'm dropping here is that. Like this is, I've, I've taken a lot of slack uh, on social media when I'm not going to, I am not going to give you a pay range if it is that broad of a job application. That is your job. And people are like, well, I don't want to waste my time. Okay, well then that's fine because I don't want to waste my time interviewing you either, <laughs> honestly. Right. Okay. So when you see a broad application, you know, at, at a, at a company that there are, they have a lot of work 
That means they have a lot of work and they need to hire fast. That That's a good opportunity for you. Okay. One little project yeah. where you're like, oh, I've got a three week project right. and it's from this range to this, you know, here's your range of pay. That's, you know, that is just like not seeing the forest for the trees. It's, it's so <laughs> stupid, you know, and you try to explain that to people and they just don't, they don't get it and, and they don't want to get it. They just want to be haters, you know, and that's fine. You can be haters in your bedroom without a job, at least in my <laughs> There you go. Yeah, there it is. Um, the That's detonation right. of the bomb. Um, but I, I mean, to, to sort of be de- devil's advocate, if you did something like just put oh, 17 to $50 an hour, I mean, does that... You know, I, we understand that that's a huge range, but it, it at least maybe it maybe it acts in good faith in a weird way. I've done that. And they that's not tight enough for them. Yeah, uh, they, yeah. they don't they don't like that. They, mm. they want to know. I want you to know. And so that's this idea that when I go and I try to get a job from employee standing, when I try to this this misnomer that it's OK for me to say this is what I need to live. Therefore, that's what you must give me. That's not how it works. Yeah. OK, you need to say this is what I need to live. Therefore, these are the jobs that I should be pursuing. Right. Not that, okay, so why don't you go try that? I need to make $30 an hour. Therefore, I'm going to go to McDonald's and I'm going to say, you must pay me $30 an hour. It doesn't work that way. Right. You get paid based on skill, ability, and and the job that's ahead of you. Sometimes there aren't jobs available that pay $30 an hour. Sometimes I've already filled those positions, right? And I only need people that are on the lower end of the pay scale. So, you know, those are questions that it takes, it's worth going out and asking the employer, making that phone call. What is it? Like 15 minutes? I, I just, I don't, I, I don't understand that mentality where work has to come to you instead of the other way around. But, you know, that's, yeah. that's just me. I think just um, some final thoughts here. One of the big things to note about archaeology is it's hard to define standards as far as pay goes and things like that mm-hmm. because it's so regional. It's it's often based on even in the same region, like you said, Heather, one project might have different constraints versus, say, another project. Uh, a quick example for me on that is I, I was working uh, one military project for the Navy under a same contract, and I moved to a completely different part of California on a completely different Navy base, but it was under the same massive contract, and yet that other contract had different per diem required they they were they wouldn't let us charge more than x dollars per diem and i had already offered a few new people positions at this higher per diem rate and but they made me take it down so i i don't know what the reasons were for that but they made me take it down so i came down uh, in per diem but i raised their hourly rates to compensate now i know that's not a direct comparison but it's all i could do <laughs> so right you know but that happens right that happens on different projects so i think when when especially new people in the field or people who maybe should have done this early and they're not so new and they're starting to do online research you might look on say Glassdoor or even linkedin linkedin mm-hmm. or something like yeah. that and they might say oh archaeological technician with this range with this for education will get this much money and that is based on just data that they've collected but you really got to look locally and again i think the most important thing is do that self-assessment and yeah. figure out if you're sitting in school, if you're in one of Andrew's classes right now and you're sitting there going, you know what, I will never leave this town and yet I want to be a field technician, yeah. you might have a hard time coming up in your life. Because yes. <laughs> yes. that's, not, that's, that's so, not that's not this job. And you know, I yeah. will say one one more thing and then I'll let Andrew 
say his piece, but (laughs) (laughs) we do pay, you know, my company pays very well. I always submit applications at the higher end of things. Always. I fight for everybody that I have any, any ability to help make more money. I do that. I I'm a huge proponent of that, but you can't just, you know, you you just, you can't go in there and expect things that are just are not reasonable. Just doesn't work that way. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So, I, I mean, Heather, you know, for my final bet, all I've learned is you're the man, and we're just trying to rise up against the man. That's, oh, what, that's what I've learned. That, 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 that actually, that's how it feels. That's all right. I, I've got, you know, I can take it. <laughs> nice. You know, you know nice. what I used to, what I did for it, right? I mean, I was a hockey referee for oh, professional totally, hockey. Totally, so I can, you know, bring so it, great. Yeah. bring it. It's nice. not doesn't bother nice. me. Yeah. <laughs> Pucks whizzing behind by my head. I can I can handle comments whizzing by my head. Nice. All right. Well, that is about it for this episode. If you guys listening to this have any further questions for us, please comment wherever you saw this episode. Not like iTunes or something. That's for reviews. But if you saw this on Facebook, Twitter, or on the actual show notes page on arcpodnet.com, please comment there. Leave us emails. Some of our contact info is in the show notes, chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. And please make suggestions. If you're part of our members only Slack team, and you can find that at arcpodnet.com forward slash members, the information for that. But if you're part of that, feel free to keep this discussion going and, and give us some ideas like Amy did for future episodes. We love that. It's you know, this is episode 224. It's not super easy to keep coming up with ideas. So <laughs> we want to know what you guys want us to talk about. And thanks, we'll either Amy. find the people. Yeah, thanks, Amy. And if it's a topic we don't know about, then we'll either BS our way through it or find somebody who can BS better than we can, like Andrew. So there you go. <laughs> um, uh, that, that's all I want. I can die now. I'm a happy man. <laughs> <laughs> and again, thanks, Andrew, for coming on as a guest host. And thanks, thanks everybody else. Absolutely. And... Yep, and we'll be back next time. Thanks to everyone for joining me this week. Thanks also to the listeners for tuning in, and we'll see you in the field. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks so much, guys. See you later. Thanks for listening. That's it for another episode of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes for this podcast, which can be found at www.arcpodnet.com slash crmarcpodcast. Please comment and share anywhere you see the show. If you'd like us to answer a question on a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or just email chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Support the show and the network at arcpodnet.com slash members. Get some swag and extra content while you're there. Send us show suggestions and interview suggestions. We want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere, and we want to know what you want to know about. Thanks to everyone for joining me this week. Thanks also to the listeners for tuning in, and we'll see you in the field. Goodbye. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, 
DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster and Rachel Roden. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.